My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you are enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Ivana Niviadomska. She is the founder of Gifting Made, a strategic gift marketing with campaigns featuring gifts that clients will keep, use, and enjoy for at least a decade. Welcome, Ivana. Thank you. Thank you for um, attending. I'm so glad to talk with you, and we'll get into how I kind of came across you further in the podcast, but for everyone listening, a quick roadmap for today's podcast. It's going to follow the same trajectory as all of these on this series. We'll first look at Ivana's academic background and early professional life, and then we'll look at unpacking um, the company and mainly the logistics of who, what, when, where, why, and how. And then we'll turn to more of the uh, philosophical and the ethos-based environments of gifting made. And then we'll turn our attention towards the goals that she has um, with gifting made over the next three years. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that she has for those who are looking to emulate what she does or maybe get involved with um, gifting made. Really quickly, you can find out about more about gifting made at giftingmade.com. And um, now I'm going to drop, drop into, before I pepper Ivana with a whole bunch of questions, I'm going to drop into a quick bio. Ivana Niewiodomska uh, was born in Poland and grew up in Buffalo, New York, with yearly summers back in Gdansk. After college, she lived in Boston, where she fell in love with the city, but still hated the snow, which is what brought her to San Diego, California. It's good California living. Um, as early as she can remember, she always wanted to be a business owner and travel the world. She was able to do both in 2013, starting with her entrepreneurial journey as a graphic designer without any actual graphic design experience um, and buying a one-way ticket to Spain packed with a suitcase and uh, full of this will all work out. And it did. Her graphic design career is now seven years strong and she has started four businesses. Each business venture has, built, um, has been built on the lessons learned, which has all led to Gifting Made. Gifting Made specialized in premium client gifting and making people feel extra special and cared about. Ivana's love language is gifts, so it aligns perfectly um, her ability to create thoughtful experiences. Ivana is passionate about following her dreams, both big and small, and is driven by fun. Because at the end of the day, it's 
it's what, um, at the end of the day, what is life if you're not having fun? I love that. It's a very good quote, Ivana. <laughs> That's killer. So before um, we get into kind of unpacking gifting made, which I actually adore the concept of, well, I want you to walk us um, just quickly through your academic background and early professional life. Yeah. Um, so I, I went to school. I went to um, college in Binghamton, New York. It's about three hours um, outside of Buffalo. Uh, super upstate New York, really small town. Um, I actually had a really challenging time uh, deciding what college I would go to. Just this concept of all of a sudden, you know, you're told which schools to go to your entire life. And then it's like, hey, you have endless opportunity. Um, and so I, my mom actually helped me pick the college itself. Um, nice. And I loved it. As soon as I, as soon as I got out, I knew I'd never want to go back to Buffalo. I just didn't know where I'd want to go. Not because Binghamton is some great city. It's actually much, much smaller. Um, but I just, you know, had the experience of being on my own. Um, so that was college. I started in um, the like liberal arts college and then um, really quickly realized uh, that I wanted to do nothing, no majors listed in that college program. Excellent. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I should have looked at this before. Um, but Binghamton also has a business school. So I had a 4.0 um, my freshman year. Uh, the business school was, was iffy whether or not I would get in, which I thought was really weird. I don't know what expectations they had at the time. Yeah. Um, but so my second, third, fourth year, I transferred over to the business school um, and I, I think I majored with a business administration and a concentration in marketing. Um, I don't think it has a ton of real world translation, mm -hmm. uh, to be totally honest, but I loved um, the entire experience. Yeah, and academia frequently has that, right? And I think this is a, a thing that um, entrepreneurs have in common with um, a solution-based system, which is, you know, it's looking at academia has very little translation value to the real world application. And anyone who's forming a bridge between pieces of knowledge like that is bound to be of an entrepreneurial spirit, right? It's taking mm. this issue, in this case, an inconsistency with knowledge learned and knowledge applied, and, um, and, and marrying those two. And so I think you're right. And I like that you said it because it's still the case. People yeah. act like this is, you know, if this was back in the 1800s, like, no, 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 I, I taught at the University of Utah. You know, I understand how the um, distribution and education and knowledge acquired has, it's actually up to the individual in, in order to process and orchestrate and then implement any knowledge ascertained, as far as I can tell, into real world value from philosophy to mathematics. You know, it can be applied, but it is very much so up to the individual, which people yeah. don't explain that much in academia. So it's mm -hmm. cool that you brought that up. So what did you do after you graduated? So I graduated and um, I actually had just the most random um, opportunity to manage a new dental office. Um, that opened up in the area. It was a, a friend that I'd been working with, uh, knew the doctor opening it, and I was planning on being in Binghamton for the summer. So I was like, yeah, that sounds, you know, super weird and interesting. And I don't know why I'm the right fit, but let's do it. Yeah. Um, and then the summer uh, was over 
And a friend of mine were just actually driving back from New York City from a graduation party and deciding what we wanted to do next. Uh, and we were both knew that we didn't want to stay in Binghamton. She had grown up there, actually. And so we pulled out an atlas, turned to the page that had a picture of the entire uh, country, which, you know, has a select few cities highlighted on it. Um, and we kind of just looked at it and talked about a few of the cities that we saw uh, talked about Boston and decided that, hey, no one's ever had anything bad to say about Boston. So let's do that. <laughs> and we moved there shortly thereafter. That's great. Literally just from an atlas with a yeah. couple of key cities highlighted. And yeah. Right, Boston, well, I mean, it's like Chicago in that sense for me. Like it's just got cult followers that live and die for the city, the sports teams, um, Boston's cool too because it's one of the oldest and being back east you know it's nice to stay with the places that have the heritage and stuff like that of the country that you're in yeah so how did Boston work out for you gosh I mean my world just came alive in Boston um so I moved there in 2008 and um obviously right out of college uh had no chance of getting a job as the economy crashed and you know i was competing with people that had their masters and um were taking you know any job that they could possibly get so um for about the next at least six to nine months i believe maybe even a full year um i actually worked at a restaurant around the corner and when my brain started to melt I decided that I needed to do something to start, you know, thinking again and um, doing something cool. And so I got a couple of unpaid internships nice. um, in Boston, one at a recruitment agency in the marketing department and one in a marketing company. Um, and so learned, uh, you know, really interesting things just around email marketing and backlinks and, um, you know, that, but really just enjoyed thinking again. It was pretty great. Mm -hmm. um, Did it help you and, kind of fine tune what you wanted to get into more? Or know what you did not want to get into, <laughs> rather? You know, I found marketing, I've always found marketing really interesting, um, but it's such a large field that I, 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 to this day, don't really know which part I like about it the most. I think the creativity that it allows, no matter what you're working on, is what I love about it in general. Yeah. Um, so at, uh, at, at one point, um, I was looking on Craigslist for a paid job um, during the day, and I came across what sounded like the check-in girl at a gym and it was for this brand new concept that no one had heard about at the time, which was co-working. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, okay, great. You know, I can, I can get this job and, uh, you know, while I'm looking for something better, um, cause this sounds like, you know, kind of boring and not, not very long-term at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that job changed my life. Um, I basically came in to manage a new co-working space in Boston. Wow. Um, when was this in 2008? It, this was 2009. That's amazing. I mean, it's like the birth of co-working space. Totally the birth. <laughs> I mean, we would have yeah. conversations about what co-working meant, how to explain it to people, writing definitions that we thought might resonate with people. 
And it was just super interesting. The best part is I personally have always my entire life wanted to be an entrepreneur and business owner. And the, the two guys, the two founders of the workspace were also two entrepreneurs and um, they just had, it, it's kind of every founder story that I've heard of co-working spaces, two guys working together, um, the main tenant left, the space was uh, left to them. They chatted with the landlords, had this vision of co-working, brought the landlords on into their vision and 10 years later, work bar in Boston is still a mainstay. Mm -hmm. um, it's a huge space. And so when I came in, the, the founders were, were still very much interested in working on their own companies. And the co-working space was like a side project. Hey, let's see if we can do something. Yeah. And it was really cool because for several years I was kind of left to my own devices and it was this really safe space to be an entrepreneur because it wasn't my money. And, you know, I was just throwing everything at the wall, seeing what could work my first real job, you know, and, uh, it was also awesome because co-working and community is such a social, um, social thing and environment. And my job was really to build a community. And so I, also got that benefit of the community. And to this day, I'll talk to friends that have never been to work bar or, or um, in Boston, but I'll reference, oh yeah, this person from work bar. Oh, this person from work bar. Um, I met my, my partner there, actually my partner in life and partner in business. And we moved to San Diego together. So it's been a huge, huge, massive, uh, yeah, impact part of your life personally. Well, what's interesting yeah. is that co-working spaces, at least the ones that are successful that I know of now that are doing innovative things, they employ a lot of marketing friendly techniques, you know, which you already had your backing in, but um, there's a lot of cross-pollination and things like that that you need to do with co-working spaces. There's been a kind of a retaliation from the um, beer pong, you know, kind of co-working spaces that were like broed out for lack of better word mm -hmm. into, you know, women having like female identified or safe space co-working environments to the most recent ones that I hear of are to be members and be able to go. You actually have to attend seminars and things that try and help educate their entrepreneurs and for legalities and different things that, you know, they're trying to aid in that environment to be the supportive unit which I think is just a whole like next level pitch. You know, it used to just be like, do you need internet? You need a desk, you need a, a design board or something like that. But now it's this like, they're almost like mini agents, you know, of, of, of change and aid. Yeah, it is, it is so interesting because the, the community aspect and all the intangibles that happen and the process of facilitating, and it, it is really an art, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's what sets apart co-working spaces. If you just walk in and you're given a room and a copier and a printer and a, you know, desk, um, you're not going to show and, and have that level of a success, uh, compared to a space that you walk in and the community is thriving and that cross pollination of ideas is happening organically. It's happening organically, but there is that foundational layer that's supportive of that, um, whenever I would give tours to people, for example, 
whatever their business was, I would automatically in my brain make a connection with someone they might find it interesting to talk to in the space and then make that introduction there and then they'd stay for a free work day. They talk to those people end up joining, you know, and months down the line, they're working together or they have, they worked on a project together and that's like the real magical piece of it. Yeah, and I think that, um, and you know, is not to tangent off too much, but I've spoken with people in the biotech community, you know, in communities you would not think of that are implementing um, key concepts introduced in in co working spaces. You know, there's lab facilities, um, even here in San Diego, that are, you know, ACTRI has, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars behind it. And the pretense was to put people in a cold, wet lab, whatever, all different kinds of lab needed facilities in the same building together to see if we could get some cross-pollination of people working on and sharing ideas and getting people back into that same space. And so it was um, it was charming for me to see that, you know, that a lot of these kind of, let's get everyone back in the same room concepts that were brought about with the advent of co-working spaces are being used across uh, multidisciplinary for certain, but I think every industry. I'm hearing a lot of common threads between um, kind of this time period. Obviously, I feel like we're on the buildup here between you're this co-working managing space and um, gifting made just within the, um, I feel like it's a profiling. You just mentioned introducing someone that ended up going into business with somebody you introduced to in this moment. Like there's a lot of profiling that happens with this kind of assessing someone's needs, really reading into what they need, what their brand might be, um, who they can communicate to, to further their things. So I want to get into um, gifting me, but first we have to go over some of the more like logistical stuff that's not always as interesting. So can you tell us when it was launched, who the founders are and the impetus for the launch? Yes. Um, so I uh, launched the business in, let's see, today is 2020. So 2019, 2018, uh, I think November of 2018, started to really think about the business in May um, of that year. Uh, so that's when it was launched. The founders um, initially launched with three founders. Um, now we have two founders, myself and Mike, who, um, as I mentioned, is my partner in business and in life. Um, so it's the two of us. And the impetus uh, for the launch um, is really interesting. So as you mentioned in my bio, um, I've started multiple businesses and each of the businesses have been a pivot of the last. And so Gifting Made was actually a pivot of the previous business that I had launched, which is Gourmet Wedding Gifts, um, which we actually recently sold, which I'm so excited um, to have done. Thank you. And so uh, Gourmet Wedding Gifts focused around gifting for weddings and uh, particularly wedding favor based. And I started to get involved with with the community here in San Diego with several organizations uh, around uh, the wedding space. So I met a lot of vendors and people, you know, servicing weddings. And when I told them what I did, they would ask me, hey, do you have gifts that I can give to my clients as a thank you gift? Mm. And so automatically my brain is just running with ideas and I'm thinking, okay, that, that sounds like a great idea. I should, I should make this whole thing about it. Yeah. And um, so started really, I loved the idea of B2B much more than B2C. For me, having relationships and building long-term relationships 
is such a cool experience and what I love about working with people. And so that was not present in gourmet wedding gifts. And then there were a ton of different kind of business model, revenue model types of things that were super challenging for me in that space. And so launching Gifting Made as a separate entity specifically around client gifting uh, happened as a, as a pivot basically of gourmet wedding gifts. We had two at the same time. I was managing both businesses for quite a while. And then um, as you'll mention the, the program I'm in now, I was really uh, encouraged um, to, to let go of gourmet wedding gifts to really focus on gifting made, which was really challenging at first. Um, but yeah, it all worked out. Yeah, and we can just drop into that quickly. So you are part of, um, I don't know if you guys call it an accelerator. It's the second cohort yeah. of Connect All at the Jacobs Center. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, San Diego's response, an interesting response to where I believe where city and um, kind of um, public meets private meets all of these things for accelerators for businesses. And you go through um, kind of an arduous selection process where there's, um, Last time, I'm not sure what the numbers were this time, but just dozens and dozens and dozens of applicants are kind of weeded out through a panel, through Dineo Ramos, and um, there's you know this this picking process, and then you guys are kind of led through like all accelerators through education and um, refinement and all of these processes to kind of try to introduce you to the right environment, possible funding, all of those things, pitch segments to kind of refine you. Am I yeah. getting close to describing it? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, and that it's good to mention because I think it's it's crucial for people listening who are on your entrepreneurial path or kind of getting near it that there are all these kinds of um, accelerators, and there are so many, you know, right now, even in the the state of California that we're in, the city of San Diego that we're in, and um, finding them is is crucial. Can you speak to how you found Connect All at the Jacobs Center? Yeah, so I had gone to um, some programs uh, years prior that were led by Alex, the, the director of the Connect All at the Jacobs Center program. And so I had known him um, from my time here in San Diego, and we had connected because someone in the program um, was talking about corporate gifting. And so he wanted to connect me with that person to chat. And so that's how I found out that the program exists. And I was, yeah, super stoked to find something locally that, you know, a lot of times you read over the accelerator kind of process details and qualifications, and um, it can be a lot. And, it, you know, you can really quickly be like, oh, I, you know, I don't fit. I don't fit the criteria. And this was yeah. This was a program that I fit and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going all in on it. <laughs> yeah. And I love the, I mean, the resources I'd say for the real estate alone, you know, if someone offers me a free um, office space, that's two by two in, you know, South Tijuana, I'm there. Like mm -hmm. I love free real mm -hmm. estate and having a place as a startup to go and work and collaborate with other startups as well, I think is, it can never be, you know, coming from the co-working environment can never be overlooked. Yeah. Um, getting back to gifting made, I'm wondering what the growth has been um, thus far. And if you guys are specializing, getting on your website, I saw a few of your clients. Um, do you have an industry that you're, you're kind of specializing in and fine tuning? Or are you kind of trying to open yourself up to everybody? So great question. It's actually something that we're working on right now. So <clears throat> 
over the last year, our clients have been all over the map, wedding photography studios, hotels, financial planners, lawyers, you name it. And from a sales perspective, from a strategy perspective, that does not narrow things down very much. And so one of the things that I'm working on is figuring out which industries, whether it be one or two, um, do I need to focus on? And so doing customer interviews and interviewing people and how they gift and why and what their needs are and what their um, budget potential is, is something that I'm working on right now to uh, narrow in the industries and then really plan a specific um, strategy around going into those industries. Yeah. Um, finance is, is, is looking really good. Um, wealth and financial advisement, and then also uh, the legal realm. Yeah, absolutely. So what for the what do you think like the next three years um, looks like for you guys? You graduate from the Jacob Center, connect all, and then um, do you have your like your specific like three year goals set out? Or are you kind of just shooting for anything? Um, well, I don't want to say I'm shooting for anything. <laughs> I don't think Alex would appreciate that yeah. uh, in our goal setting uh, seminars. Um, but my long term vision really is to really nail down my process, um, our sales process, you know, have it all buttoned up so that we can move through the sales cycle pretty seamlessly, yeah. um, having identified the right industries to go into. Um, a big piece of it too, is the education. Um, the way that we're gifting is so different than what you see out there, what is considered quote unquote normal, um, which I would say is just such a waste of money. Um, so also finding a way to mix in the right amount of education, but then also make sure that the people that are coming to us have a base level of education about it. And so fine tuning that process. Um, my long-term vision in the next three years is to have um, a retail space. Um, I just love the idea of um, collaborating and just being really present in the community. Yeah. So a retail space where you can see and interact with people would be awesome. Um, and then, you know, having a larger kind of, uh, ability, uh, to produce and, and work in a space. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think that people who say, you know, the shopping mall is dead, doesn't understand that everything must evolve or die, you know? And so the 1983 shopping mall is most definitely dead, but the, the customer experience is very much so alive. And not mm -hmm. only taking place online, you know, it's, um, and I am a notorious online shopper and um, I have a company that I built that was based around online searching for shopping. Like I love online shopping, but it does not necessarily negate, you know, the in-person experience, especially for what you're saying right here. I think it's an, inc an incredibly clever concept for a gifting, you know, um, a connoisseur uh, experience. I think that there's a lot to be said for something that could evolve, especially since you're talking about relationships, right? With your company, you're going to have a very, um, at least what one would assume would be a more in-depth relationship with your clients. Anytime you get into gift giving, you're going to have an in-depth knowledge of kind of what they're looking for, who, who they think they are, their branding, all of those things. 
So I think that is incredibly clever. Can you like run us through whatever? I know that, you know, as people build, there can be nervousness about it, but can you run us through just a basic outline of um, what Gifting Made is and what it potentially can do for its clients? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Gifting Made, we really focus on um, taking your relationships to the next level using the vehicle of gift giving. Um, so what does that mean? Um, you know, first let's think about the relationships that are drivers of growth in your business. This might be, um, based off your client list, your past clients, your high value clients. This could be clients that you're trying to land or people that you're trying to open doors with that'll provide growth, whether it be through a sale or a connection or just an industry uh, contact that could be really valuable. Um, this could be people, clients that um, you didn't win their business, but oftentimes that could be a really powerful gift. It's, it's the idea of who can I um, make, make an advocate for my business to a greater degree, right? So once we figure out who those people are, um, then we talk about the process of gift giving. Oftentimes you want this to be a sequence of gifts. So a one-off gift is great, but if you can create some sequence, a series to it, be it two gifts, three gifts, think about it in terms of a marketing campaign over time. And so when it comes to get to the gift itself, um, this is kind of the part where take everything that you think you know about gifting, turn it completely on its head, and that's our starting point. Um, so a lot of people, when they gift, they gift things with brands on them, with your brand on it. Well, who, who is that gift for, really? Who is that gift about? That's going to be about the gift giver, right? About the company. It's not about the person that you're gifting to. Um, a really good baseline to use is, would you give this item to the person for their wedding? If the answer is no, then something about that gift is off. Because if you wouldn't give it to them on their wedding day, then, you know, why not? It's, is it not authentically, you know? for them? Is it branded in the wrong way? Does it, you know, so that's a good question to ask. So the gift really has to be about the recipient personalizing the gift um, with their name, initials, uh, their family. You want to, um, if the gift can include the person's inner circle, the people that they trust, that's great because now the entire family can have, can be an advocate for your company. Um, and the thing about branding is, Oftentimes people will say, well, you know, I really, I want the brand on them because I want them to think of me. And what I say to that is, you know, if you give somebody a great gift, they will never forget who gave it to them. It yeah. is burned in their brain, right? Yes. Um, so making the gift about them and personalizing it, um, it's got to be a great quality gift. Um, and then we like to gift things that will stick around for the next 10 years at least, something that you're going to keep in your home and use continuously. Um, and then, you know, if you tie it back to ROI, marketing goals, uh, you know, cost per impression, right? That one object over 10, 20, 50 years, whatever you paid, whatever you paid for it over the thousands of impressions that somebody gets by seeing it in their home every single day or sharing it with friends and family, um, sparking conversations uh, with other people. Um, and then again, for an ROI, uh, referral, referral, uh, gift that 
you know, sparks conversations and now you become a referral magnet. Awesome. Yeah. And you have the added benefit of being green, right? You're not trying to contribute too much to that landfill issue. Yes, because uh, the gifts, another key aspect is that they're practical. So because they're practical, they're not um, our number one goal, whoever we work with, we don't want to waste their money on gifts that are going to end up in the trash uh, at Goodwill or at a garage sale. Nice. That's cool. I like it. It sounds fascinating. The repeat gift is clever too. I think you're right. Um, they teach that in, um, you know, department stores that have spanned the the length of time past their expiration, like Nordstrom and things like that. They have that kind of return mentality built into their structure. They, they're one of the first businesses that I ever learned about that took customer service and client relations really serious, and they took it down to even their salesperson. So they have all these trainings that their employees still go through that I've never heard brought to anyone making the, the hourly that those salespeople are making. And I think it's because they realized with these kind of return efforts at a very early age and stage across all industries, across all venues is, is crucial. And I've never really thought about it with the idea of gift giving, but it is incredibly clever. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of look back. Sometimes we get so lost, you know, as entrepreneurs, um, especially in the exciting space you're in, but um, get lost in, in the universe of just chaos around us. But if you could um, have looked look back at the person that you were growing into and all the companies that you were forming, these four companies from the person that was involved with those co-working spaces, um, and you bumped into someone tomorrow who had a very similar trajectory as yourself, a young woman or female identified or non-binary individual, and you were giving her your top three pieces of advice to kind of help her through um, what the, the beginning of entrepreneurship is, what would you tell her? Oh gosh, good question. Um, so my first piece of advice would be <clears throat> to just do it. And I think you hear that a lot, right? Yeah. And it sounds so simple, but you just, gotta go for it. And I've always just personally believed and still do that absolutely everything will work out no matter how crazy the scenario is or, you know, how the numbers don't line up in the spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it's never steered me wrong ever. I've, I've never gone off course with that belief. And so the first piece of advice would be to just start in any way. Um, Secondly, and this is something that I am actually just really, really learning and implementing for myself now, but if I were to go back, it'd be the absolute first thing I would do is start asking for help and mentorship. Um, I'm the type of person that, you know, I will, I know I can do it and I can figure it out. And so I'll really isolate myself and just try to figure it out because I don't know why, maybe, you know, am I going to look stupid? People won't think I'm worth their time. Um, and I, and I have all those fears. And so I've, I've, I've had a very isolated kind of experience with entrepreneurship. And, um, now I'm finally starting to ask for help and mentorship and it's really uncomfortable. Um, but, but it's been just propelling me forward beyond belief. So yeah. that I think is my absolute best piece of advice is start building your own network of, of mentors and asking for help. Nice. 
Do you have a third one to wrap it up? Oh, do I have a third one? <laughs> it's good when you have to pause and think about it. It usually means there's something exciting right here. Yeah. What would you advise yourself to do today? Looking over the last week, be like, Ivana, you need to more. Call, call the people you want to talk to. And that I, I'm definitely facing that challenge. Nice. I'm terrified. So yeah, make calls of just to anyone that you want to talk to. Yeah, it's true. And it's not done a lot anymore. Um, I'm a lot older than you, I suspect. And I cannot stand the day texting came out. I was like, the heavens <laughs> have answered my prayer. I just like, I don't know what it is. Um, if I can text it, I will. But I think you're absolutely right. Calling can get the job done like yeah. nothing else. And it's mm -hmm. crucial. Everyone I've talked to in the past couple of months says, you know, they went back to cold calling and it was painful and the lessons learned were equally as painful, but it was an awesome experience. And we do have that in, in common with our grandmothers. So I say, um, I've got you down as just do it. Start in any way you can. Secondly, start asking for help and mentorship right away. Don't take too long to do that and call more, which I love. Yeah. I think yeah. that's fantastic. Um, we are out of time, but I wanted to say thank you so much, Ivana. I know that everyone is busy, but I think that young entrepreneurs are the busiest and the least to say it. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was fun. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, we were talking with Ivana Nivadomska. You say it now. Nivadomska. Nivadomska. Ah, oh, I'm going to get it. So <laughs> it's a Polish name. It's gorgeous. Um, she's at giftingmade.com. You can check her out online. And for everyone listening, thank you for your time. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Lunch.